You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. And today, we also have those that are calling for social justice, both among Jesus followers and those who don't claim him. I find it alarming that there are Christian pastors or leaders who call fellow Jesus followers seeking social justice. They call them fools. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 333, and our title this week is Mislabeling Social Justice as Foolishness. Our feature text is Matthew 5, 22, but I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council, but if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the Gehenna of fire. Context is always important, and with this week's passage, I believe it's vital. Jesus is warning his followers about mislabeling those who call for social justice fools or foolish. He's not prohibiting the term fool. After all, Jesus calls others fools in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 23, 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And that's Matthew 23, 16 again. But but Luke's Jesus has even God referring to someone emphatically as a fool. In Luke 12, 20, it says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now you will own, and now who will own what you have prepared? So, So the passage in Matthew isn't about using the term fool, but about mislabeling as fools those who call for justice, for inclusion, and and systemic change as Jesus and Jesus' followers did within their own society. Consider what Jesus warned his followers about, a Gehenna of fire. Contrary to, to many modern translations, Gehenna is not what modern Christians understand as hell. It's rather a deeply Jewish concept with a rich history. Here is every passage where Jesus speaks of Gehenna, except for the two that we'll look at in, in just a moment. And to avoid misleading us, I have taken the time to untranslate each reference to hell where the original word is simply Gehenna. The first is Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. Matthew 18, 9. If your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the Gehenna of fire. Matthew 2315, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross sea and land to make a single convert, and you make the new convert twice as much a child of Gehenna as yourself. Matthew 2333, you snakes, you brood of vipers. 
How can you escape being sentenced to Gehenna? In Mark 9, 43 through 47, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to Gehenna, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out, for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into Gehenna. So in order to understand what Jesus is referring to in each of these passages, we have to look at three things. Number one, the Jewish history around Gehenna. Number two, the political climate of Jesus's day. And then number three, how Jesus uses Gehenna in the context of of both. So let's dive in. First, Gehenna was a literal place in Jewish history as far back as the time of Joshua. In Joshua 15, verse 8, it says, Then the boundary goes up by the valley of the son of Hinnon, and that's Gehenna, at the southern slope of the Jebusites, that is Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain that lies over against the valley of Hinnon on the west at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. This place became the site of Judah's terrible history of child sacrifice. In 2 Chronicles 28.3, it says, And Ahaz, king of Judah, made offerings in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, and made the sons pass through fire according to the abominable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. 2 Chronicles 33.6, He made his son pass through fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom, practicing soothsaying and augury and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and with wizards, which he, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Gehenna, or the, the valley of the son of Hinnom, was the cultic location where the Canaanites offered children as sacrifices to the god Moloch. And at some point, it became known as, as Topheth, or, or for the hearth where the child was placed. The Hebrew term, it parallels in both the Ugaritic and the Aramaic, that means furnace or fireplace. Scholars believe that Topheth was at the edge of the valley of the son of Hinnom, next to the Kidron Valley, and likely southwest of Jerusalem. An 8th century BCE Phoenician inscription actually describes sacrifices made to Moloch uh, before the Cilicians battled their, their enemies. But its history doesn't end with those histories. It also re surfaces in the message of the prophet Jeremiah years later. In Jeremiah 7, 31 through 32, it says, And they go on building the high place of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topheth, the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Topheth until there is no more room. Jeremiah is saying that Babylon is coming, 
and with such devastation on Jerusalem that the valley of the son of Hinnom or Gehenna will become a burying place overflowing with corpses, not of children this time, but of the population that Babylon devastates. And notice that Jeremiah is warning not of a a post-mortem experience, but of a distinct this life or this world experience that would truly be hell for anyone caught in it. It is the literal destruction of Jerusalem by a Gentile kingdom, and that time it was Babylon. This is Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim here this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of Host, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, let and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I too am watching, says the Lord. This This passage in Jeremiah 7 is also the very passage Jesus quoted as he demonstrated against his own temple state's exploitation of the poor. Jesus stood in Jeremiah's prophetic lineage and quoted this passage directly in in Luke 19, 46, and he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jeremiah used Gehenna. Remember, in a specific way. This is Jeremiah 19, 2 through 6. And go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, remember that's Gehenna, at the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I am going to bring such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle, because the people have forsaken me, have profaned this place, by making offerings in it to other gods who knew knew that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah have known, because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it even enter my mind. Therefore the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. So so for Jeremiah, Gehenna had an end. It was not the equivalent of being eternally forsaken by God. And the fact that Jeremiah thought of it as a as temporary, it suggests a restorative hope rather than a retributive one. In Jeremiah 31, 38 through 40, we see an example of this. It says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt. 
uh, for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out further straight to the hill of Garib and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and ashes. Remember, he's describing Gehenna here, the valley of the sons of Hinnom. And all the fields as far as the Wadi Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall never again be uprooted or overthrown. In Jeremiah 32, 37, we see another example. See, I am going to gather them from all the lands to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place. I will settle them in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me for all time, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, never to draw back from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so that they may not turn from me. And then Jeremiah 29, 10-14 is our final example. For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you the promise and bring you back to this place, for surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray, and I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now let's address the political climate of Jesus's day briefly. Jesus repeatedly called for wealth redistribution, for the community to prioritize economic equity and justice, and for the centering of marginalized people. He repeatedly warned that if the people did not embrace a more distributively just society, no matter how much the elite named it foolish, they would all face Gehenna. Now, in a Jewish context, think of that for a moment. Looking back at their history, we can see this beginning with the poor people's revolt that grew into the Roman Jewish War of 66 to 69. <clears throat> Excuse me. And ultimately, that resulted in Rome's violent destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. That would qualify as another Gehenna. Jesus picks up Jeremiah's warning about Jerusalem being destroyed by a foreign oppressor, and the gospel authors connected Jeremiah's passages and, and Jesus' overthrowing the temple tables and Rome's destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. Jeremiah shattered a vessel on the temple floor, symbolizing how Babylon would shatter Jerusalem, and, and said that they had turned the temple into a den of robbers. Jesus overturned tables and scattered livestock in the temple, and the gospel authors used this to foreshadow the result of their turning the temple into a den of robbers. Jesus adopted Jeremiah's Gehenna meaning as as well as his language. Jesus was not, remember, warning about the post-mortem ex experience described by Dante or, or Jonathan Edwards. He was speaking of Gehenna as a horrific devastation that would be wrought on Jerusalem by a foreign power. It would not be Babylon, though, this time, but Rome. G Luke's Jesus quotes the battle cry of the militarist 
militaristic Maccabean revolt, which the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day romanticized. But Jesus subversively turned it on its head. Here's the original passage that Jesus used as recorded in the Apocrypha. This is from 4 Maccabees 13, 14 through 15. Each of them and all of them together, looking at one another, cheerful and undaunted, said, Let us with all our hearts consecrate ourselves to God, who gave us our lives, and let us use our bodies as a bulwark for the law. Let us not fear him who thinks he is killing us, for great is the struggle of the soul and the danger of eternal torment lying before those that transgress the commandment of God. Now note two things about this passage. Passage. First, the Hellenistic idea of post-mortem eternal torment had already crept into Jewish thinking at this stage. Scholars agree that this was a product of the Jewish dispersion around the Greek Empire and was not part of a pre-diaspora Jewish worldview. And second, Jesus quotes the passage from 4 Maccabees with a twist and, and transitions it into the words of Jeremiah. And in Luke 12, 5, he says, But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The him here is not God. It's a violent Messiah leading the poor people's uprising, sure to come, if the elite power brokers continued to refuse a path away from societal inequity. Matthew's version, Matthew 10, 28, is even more telling. It says, do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Jesus begins with these words of four Maccabees, uh, which were very familiar to Jewish leaders of his day. And then he transitions into Jeremiah. Rather fear him, and remember, it's the person or the people who lead a poor people's revolt if things don't change, who will destroy both soul and body. Soul and body suggest not eternal torment after death, but a complete annihilation in this life. And then he says, destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. That's Jeremiah's term referred to uh, destruction uh, by a, a foreign power. Jesus's warning was of an even worse fate than what Jeremiah warned about. For Jeremiah, destruction by Babylon, it would be temporary. But for Jesus, the destruction would be at the hands of Rome, it would be absolute, both soul and body. What does this have to do with any of us today? Well, today we are faced with similar choices. Our present system is not sustainable. Tensions are building and our path is trending towards social eruption. People are suffering as a result of the systemic inequities of our society. And today, we also have those that are calling for social justice, both among Jesus' followers and those who don't claim him. I find it alarming that there are Christian pastors or leaders who call fellow Jesus followers seeking social justice. They call them fools. It's past time for those who bear the name of Jesus to see in the gospel stories Jesus' calls for social change. We should not focus solely on his work of, of just changing individuals. Both kinds of change are needed. And those who call for social change, seeking a more just, safer, compassionate, inclusive society, they're not fools. Whether they claim his name or not, they are traveling in the footsteps of Jesus. And all those 
who have gone before them, not only Jesus. And to Christians today who would label social justice work as foolishness, Jesus, again, offers these words. I, I say to you, if you say, you fool, you will be liable to a Gehenna of fire. Heart group application, we at Renewed Heart Ministries, we are continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. Uh, we're asking you to please stay virtually connected, but to practice physical distancing. And when you do go out, Please remember to keep a, a six-foot distance between you and others. Wear a mask and continue to wash your hands to stop the, the spread of the virus. And this is also a time, remember, where we can practice the resource sharing and the mutual aid found in the Gospels. Make sure that others in your group have what they need. And this is a time, remember, to work together and prioritize protecting those most vulnerable among us. How many ways during this time can you come up with uh, while we're a physically apart to take care of one another. So number one this week, uh, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. If you're meeting together by Zoom or through a, a conference call or however you're meeting together, share something together that spoke to you from this week's uh, 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 episode. And then number two, how do you wish that your own faith tradition or your local faith community, or your denomination, if it's applicable, would support and work alongside societal justice movements. And discuss with your group and list any social justice movements that you believe would be worth supporting and, and why. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? And discuss with your group and then pick something from the discussion to put into practice this upcoming week. Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.